welcome back to Tech Enabled, an AI podcast on technology, public policy, and economic opportunity. I'm your host, John Bailey. In March, governors enacted a sweeping set of actions to increase social distancing to help slow the spread of COVID-19. The open question was whether or not people would heed these measures. Would they actually social distance themselves? The answer came from SafeGraph, which has a data set of foot traffic for 5 million businesses and organizations, including 3 million small businesses across the country. The data comes from a panel of opt-in anonymized smartphone devices, which provides real-time insights into the activity within communities and specific businesses. This can help communities understand if people are sheltering in place or if they are out and about. SafeGraph is providing free access to some of their data sets to help researchers, nonprofits, and governments respond to COVID-19 and support their economic recoveries. So far, more than 1,000 organizations, including the CDC, are already in the SafeGraph data consortium. We are joined this week by Ryan Fox Squire, a senior data strategist at SafeGraph, who discusses how they are helping leaders with navigating the difficult decisions they face with enacting and now relaxing social distancing measures. Welcome, Ryan, to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this because, again, I keep hearing about SafeGraph and Axios and in the news in just so many different outlets talking about the amazing type of data services you're offering. Just first for our listeners, what is SafeGraph? Yeah, so SafeGraph is a geospatial data company focused on understanding the physical places in the world, places that people can go and interact with. I think like the most important thing to understand about SafeGraph is that we are just a data company. So what that means is that we don't build software products. We don't build software platforms. We're not an analytics company. We don't produce analytic insights or anything like that. All we do is we're, you know, we're 100% focused on building these data sets that other people can then use to answer their questions or build their products. So we're really focused on just being this one piece of the puzzle, which is having accurate data. And overall, the problem that we're trying to solve is how do you get good data to answer your questions? And we can try to take care of that one piece for you. That's great. You talked about geospatial. So like, what is that? And what are some examples? Yeah. So broadly speaking, geospatial data is really any kind of data that you'd ever want to put on a map. And so, you know, traditionally, we can think of things like latitude, longitude coordinates as, part, as geospatial data points. Really, that's sort of just the anchor for us. Our goal is to categorize and, and organize lots of data about places. In our world, it's sort of all oriented around all the different places in the, U- in the United States that people can go and, and visit. These are all the consumer businesses, the consumer points of interest. But it's geospatial data because in addition to having non-geospatial data, like the name of that place or the category of that place, we also have geospatial data about that place, like where is it located in latitude longitude coordinates? How does that relate to other relevant coordinate systems like counties and census areas and things like that? So all the data is very geospatially rooted so that you can do different types of geospatial analysis with it. That's great. Now, I first heard about you because of some of the COVID-19 related dashboards that you were releasing. Talk a little bit about that because I know like one of the things some of your data can do is help governments, governors and mayors understand foot traffic which is particularly important in the midst of social distancing during COVID. So talk a little bit about the data that you're making available through the dashboards. So that's exactly right. So, so before, you know, before the pandemic, we were really focused on understanding all these, what we call consumer businesses, consumer points of interest. These are the 6 million or so places in the United States and Canada that people can physically go and interact with. And I think it's, it's important to be clear about what is in the data and what's not. So I always say like, you know, all of the malls and coffee stores and retail places and restaurants and 
hotels, all these places that you or I could just sort of go and spend time or spend money are, are in the data set. But we don't, we don't have all the private places. We don't have private residences. We don't have private offices. So, you know, your favorite local coffee shop is in the data set, but like the SafeGraph headquarter office is not in the data set. And one of the main things that we're quite good at that we've worked really hard to be good at is understanding foot traffic to these places. That data all comes from an anonymized population data set based on smartphones. And we're able to take that data and work with that data to produce these aggregated reports on how many people on average are visiting a place, on average, where are they coming from, on average, how long are they staying there. So that was sort of our our bread and butter before the pandemic. Once the pandemic started, we started having governments and researchers reaching out to us asking, could they get access to the data to help them understand things like how much are people staying at home or not, and how much are people visiting businesses or not. And that sort of rapidly grew into what now is what we call the SafeGraph Data Consortium, which is a group of, at this point, you know, 3,500 plus people working in government and academia and private industry who are all working on trying to understand COVID and, and the public good response to COVID. The dashboards that we produced really, you know, again, we're, we're really just a data company. So we don't usually produce things like data visualizations and data reports, but we wanted to try to make some of this data available more easily, more accessible and, and more quickly to people. So that's why we produce some of these dashboards. So the dashboards you, you can visit on our webpage, they show at the level of the whole country, county by county, how much people are staying home versus how much people are being, visiting businesses. How does that break down by different types of businesses? So how much are people visiting you know, sit-down restaurants versus malls versus coffee stores, things like that. And there is some value in those visualizations, but I think the real power is getting access to the data underlying those dashboards, which is what we make available to everyone through the data consortium. So it sounds amazing. The first thing that you mentioned a couple different times is that this is anonymized so that it's, it's not like you're tracking John Bailey's cell phone. You're getting anonymized data that you're then layering on to other types of data. Is that the way to think about it? Yeah, we don't have any concept of individual devices in the data sets. We just have the aggregated measures that we can build from, from those smartphone GPS data points. So, you know, one of the key things about working with this data is that it's, it's potentially sensitive data and we have to be very careful with it and make sure that privacy is at, sort of at the top of mind for everything that we're doing. And that's one of the things that I think is powerful about the SafeGraph data products is that they're all aggregated so that, you know, anyone can then take those data and work with them very easily and not have to worry about these privacy concerns because there's no no concept of individuals in the data. It's all been aggregated together. So that's one of the perks, I think, of getting to work with the data is that the privacy parts of it have been handled and worked on so that you can just go directly to your insights. So it's amazing what you're describing, because I know when governors began issuing the various types of social distancing measures, including some of the most restrictive with sheltering in place, there was this big open question, well, how do we know if people really are sheltering in place? And it sounds like from this data, you're able to help governors and help mayors understand if people are sheltering in place, which areas they may not be. What sort of trends did you see coming out of these various sheltering orders and, and what happened? So in the beginning, you know, in the early phases, the early month, weeks of the pandemic, that was one of the top of mind questions that everyone was trying to understand was how much are people staying home or not? How do public policies affect that? And what other factors are impacting whether people stay at home or not? And we've had many people working on this question, both in their local geographies, as well as looking sort of across the country. And I think there's a lot of interesting findings. There's some, some, some top level findings, which are that in general, everyone, as we know, was, was staying home a lot more than usual. And you can see that happen across the country. You also can see that happen sort of at micro geography levels where, you know, on our dashboards, you can, for example, scroll back and look across time day by day, how that data changes. 
And you see like in the very early days, the first places that started really shutting down and staying home were San Francisco Bay Area, New York, and Seattle, Washington, which aligns with our understanding of where we think there sort of would be the most urgent, most urgency on people's mind, where there was the most news coverage, where there was these early outbreaks happening. But there's also a lot of nuances around how people are staying home. So I think another important finding is that these local policies do have an impact. That's good. We would hope that they would, but it certainly doesn't account for all of the behavior. So in general, we saw people staying home overall, just more and more across the month of March. And that was true whether or not your state or your city had its own stay-at-home policies in place. But if you did have a stay-at-home policy start, we did see a boost, a bump in people staying home. So those policies do matter. There's also interesting findings around how other factors affect people staying home and their compliance with stay-at-home orders. For example, we saw a variety of findings that are associated with different types of political-related dimensions. So for example, overall, when you can control for a variety of factors like ruralness versus urbanness and things like that, overall, counties and areas that voted strongly Republican in the last presidential election were less likely to be staying home. But there's even more nuances to that. For example, we found, not we, but other researchers that were doing this found that the degree of that effect also had to do with whether your county's political affiliation was in alignment with the authority figure. So Republican areas in Democratic governor states were less likely to follow orders, but similarly, Democratic counties and Republican head states were also less likely to follow orders. So there was this weird alignment effect of how does your personal political affiliation, at least at least of that area that you live in, align with the authority figure giving you the order? Well, in some ways, it's illustrating too. I mean, the pandemic hit at a time of a crisis of institutional distrust. And so that's kind of a little bit of what your, your data is surfacing there. I think the other thing that was a very dramatic sort of really jumped out from the data was that one of the biggest impacts on people staying home was when President Trump declared a national emergency. So overall, people were staying home more and more, but I think that was on March 13th, around there. That was a major inflection point in the data. And you see that after March 13th, the entire country accelerates how much they're staying home. It again, it shows that the communication from the authority figures, both at the state and the federal level, is very important and has a major role on how people respond to this. So we're now in a period where it's almost the opposite. The mayors and governors and other leaders want to see, are people staying at home or are they beginning as the social distancing measures are being relaxed? Are they going back out? And if they're going back out, where are they going to? Are they going to restaurants? Are they going shopping? Are they going to parks? And I understand you have a dashboard that is helping to track some of that. What are you tracking on on that dashboard? Yeah, exactly. So... I think we call it, in fact, the reopening dashboard. And (laughs) this is essentially breaking down state by state, industry by industry, what foot traffic likes to these businesses. So we have a variety of categories that we're able to measure. Our data goes down to the granularity of individual businesses. So, you know, an individual restaurant at a specific address, the dashboard aggregates that all up to sort of category level, but you can access those granular data at the, if if you get access to the underlying data. Again, it's sort of a couple of things we can say about what we're seeing in the data. First is that it seems like people are leaving their homes more and more and going out and visiting businesses, regardless of the policy state or not. I think the lowest foot traffic, the most people staying home was, I think, somewhere around mid-April. That was sort of the peak of staying home. And since then, the country overall has been staying home less and going out and visiting businesses more. Again, that is impacted by the relative local state policies. And we see that policies that are encouraging going out are are associated with more more going out and visiting businesses. I think what's also interesting is like you can 
pull out a, a number of interesting sort of insights from the data in terms of what are the places that people will sort of rush out and go visit once they can leave their homes. And some of those things make sense. You know, we, we've seen like lots of visits to places like dentist offices or shoe stores, like, you know, things that are very hard to substitute at home. <laughs> but we've also seen some surprising things. Like, for example, we've seen a lot of increase in visits to places like that we categorize as like toy and hobby stores. So I don't know if that's, you know, people have solved the one jigsaw puzzle they had already, and now they're looking for more home entertainment. But the point is that you can track all these things with the data and see which industries are bouncing back faster or slower. Another key takeaway we've seen across geographies is that, you know, overall, what we call counter service restaurants or quick service restaurants, things like a McDonald's compared to sit down restaurants, counter service restaurants were impacted less by the, by the initial shutdown. So people were continuing to visit those quick service restaurants more than sit down restaurants. And similarly, now that reopening has started happening, that has also bounced back faster as well. So quick service restaurants have just in overall been impacted less by pandemic, both at the beginning and at the end. I think the really important takeaway for all of this is that not all businesses are affected equally by these policies. And our data lets you measure those, those effects and try to dig into what's happening at the country level or at local geographies. What are some other ways that a mayor or governor could be using your dashboards, using your data? as they're monitoring the reopening of their economies. And obviously, everyone is looking for, you know, if there's going to be a resurgence of COVID that needs to reactivate some of these social distancing measures. We now have protests around the country over what's just transpired with the tragic killing in Minneapolis. And so you have all these different factors that mayors are trying to balance in particular. What are some ways that they could be using your data to help inform their plans going forward? Yeah. So there's a couple things to say there. What I feel most optimistic about in terms of how the data can help people is transitioning us away from sort of all or none policies of shut everything down into policies that are, that are more nuanced based on how we understand the relative benefits and risks of opening different types of businesses. So we've had a number of researchers working with the data that have dived into this and tried to understand how can you use the data to quantify things like the risk of being open and the economic benefit of it being open? And there's you know, super interesting results. So I think we're able to show you how many people are visiting the business on average day by day, but also hour by hour. We're also able to show you when people visit on average, how long do they stay at that business? This lets you then calculate the number of visits, the number of people that are visiting sort of as density and time. We also have geospatial data about the shape and size of that building that that business is located in. So we've had researchers that have used this to essentially construct densities of people you know, in space and in time. Although you can't use the data to do sort of individual contact tracing level types of interactions, you can use it to say on average, what types of businesses have the most clustering of people versus, versus don't. And then you can imagine this on two axes. One axis is what's the risk of viral transmission or exposure based on whether that's a big business or a small business, whether it's crowded or whether it's not crowded. The other dimension is what's the economic benefit of that business being open? And you can estimate that a number of ways. We've seen some people use that, do that by using SafeGraph data before the pandemic to see how many people are visiting this business on average during normal times. You also can use other types of economic indicators for that. And so then you, you produce this two by two chart that shows you every different type of business is a point on this chart. And some points are very high risk and some points are very low risk. Some points are high benefit, some points are low benefit. And so, for example, one of, you know, one of the things that came out of that research was that sit-down restaurants, which I think we all have intuition around as being dangerous places, do indeed have you know, high clusterings of people for long periods of time in a small space. So that's a high risk, but it's also a high economic benefit because people 
spend a lot of money at restaurants. You can contrast that to something like a bank. A bank also has a high economic benefit for being open, but it has a much lower clustering of people in visits in space and time. And so just as one example, right, you could imagine constructing a policy that was trying to encourage these businesses that were lower risk, but high economic benefit to be open and only shutting down the, the sort of highest risk businesses to help manage how the virus is spreading in that community. Again, this is all complicated and hard. I don't, there's not like an easy answer. And I think it's, you have to tailor it to your particular geography. But I think if there's one takeaway here, it's that we do have data to help inform these decisions. And you don't have to make these decisions in the absence of any data. And we hope that that can help us get a little bit better at what type of policies we're using. You're exactly right. Like These are hard decisions, but these would be much more difficult decisions if leaders didn't have data from organizations like yourself. I mean, you're at least giving some glimpse into some of these patterns that are going to help make decisions better and help refine decisions over time. I just want to thank you so much for taking time. I know you're just being inundated with requests. And so we're just so honored and privileged that you took time to join us today. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'll just say that if anyone out there is listening that wants to get access to the data, please go to safegraph.com and click on the data consortium. It's all available at no cost if you're working on the public good. So we hope we can help you if you're, if you're interested. It's wonderful. Thanks so much, Ryan.